Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 91 of Midweek Metagame. I'm HeronTG, joined by my two regular co-hosts, Patrick Robertson. Good evening, everybody. And Gabriel Nassif. Hey, everyone, what's up? Well, 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 we have a good discussion to have today. Not only do we have a lot of modern to get into, well, I say a lot of modern to get into, we have some modern to get into. Uh, we've been talking about modern a lot over the past few weeks because of Modern Horizons 2, but now that we're getting into other sets and stuff, we'll probably only talk, I guess, maybe like 30 minutes about modern this week, to be honest. Uh, I've played a bit, Pat's played a bit, and I think Gab's played none. That's because, Gab, you've been going into Historic, which is pretty cool. There's also been a new Historic set announced. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's called Jumpstart historic horizons and i think they're trying to print some modern cards into historic have a nice little we'll have a nice little rant about that i guess and also i think gab said he's uh, been playing some vintage cubes so we're going to potentially talk about that towards the end of the episode but before we get into the convo as always the podcast is sponsored by card market thank you to them for supporting us uh, I have to let you know that it is a marketplace online for you to sell, buy, anything card game related. doesn't have to be Magic Gathering. It could be Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, whatever. They're amazing. I've been using them for years. Obviously, I make videos for their YouTube channel. Great website. Go check it out. Cardmarket.com or cardmarket.eu. We'd also like to thank all the Patreons that support us. If you would like to personally support the uh, podcast as well, you can do that patreon.com slash midweekmetagame. This is your way to talk with Andrea Mangucci and TSB Yendrick right now. I've heard... You know, Pat was saying he's been talking with them a lot in the Discord as well, Patreon, Discord, you get access to that. Uh, just, you know, send your deck list to us or whatever and get in the conversation. That's pretty fun and whatever. But um, yeah, I think we should just hop into the conversation this week. I don't really know what you played in Modern this week, Pat, but I did believe I heard you say that you played some. So why don't you start us off with uh, what you did? I'll give you one guess. It's Blue Red Mark Tide. You don't even need your guess. That's all oh, okay. I've been doing every day. <laughs> Every day I fire up a league, I play it, I win in my take my 80% win rate, and I sell my treasure chests, and my life is good. Um, you know, nothing, nothing major to update. I'm still kind of fiddling around with post-board configurations, you know, changing flex slots here and there. Uh, last week I was speaking a lot about this plan of taking out a lot of my creatures, you know, all my ragavans and even some of my some or all of my dragon rage channelers and a lot of matchups, and that's something that I've continued to do and been having success with. I'm starting to think this is actually, you know, the best way to go about uh, approaching a lot of matchups is to switch out from being a deck that's vulnerable to lightning bolt and unholy heating uh, and just becoming a deck that's just a lot of counter spells, a lot of card drawing, and some difficult to interact with threats. And it's been working really well for me. I tried stuff like Season Pyromancer. wasn't really wasn't really uh, any better than than Jason Mind Sculptor I found. And you know, fr frankly, you know. Still a really good deck. It's done well over the weekend. It's uh, it, it came first and second. One of the challenges. It top two the super PDQ. So you know, it's still putting out good results. Lots of different ways you can kind of take the tune the flex slots, but at the same time, you know, this is this is a great deck to play, and it's honestly still just a pleasure, and I'm really enjoying it. So yeah, nothing major to report, but there's been a whole bunch of stuff going on in modern outside of me doing the same thing over and over and over again until they tell me I can't anymore. I've seen, you know, lots of hammer time doing well. I've seen um, uh, elementals win win one of the challenges. That was pretty pretty sweet. Canister playing five color elementals, which is probably worth talking about. And also a lot of a lot of kind of like upswing of these kind of tap out control decks in the vein of 
uh, what Gab won the challenge with the previous week and, you know, started evolving over the, over the rest of the week into fight four-color Omnath, red and six-style tap-out decks. So, you know, a bit, bit of shifts in modern, but a lot of the, you know, the same same players. You've been playing with that four-color deck, right? What do you think of it? Yeah, so I saw, obviously, Gab said, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now that he's been playing with four-color control. It was good. So Andrea Mangucci obviously tweet that he's been doing well with four-color control, so I thought I might as well give it a go. 5-0'd quite easily. Played against a lot of creature decks as well as uh, a control deck. Cru- crush control. Uh, it was Jeskai control, obviously, with being four-color control. I have access to Ren and Omnath, which is really difficult for them. That helped a ton. Um, but I really like four-color control. You know, I 5-0'd with just straight-up Jeskai control a week ago. And the problem I had with Jeskai control is, you know... With expressive iteration in your deck, as well as a ton of fetch lands, you're burning yourself down. And while you're good against creature decks, I feel like against creature decks, you're still putting yourself into top deck mode a lot of the time. When you put yourself down low life total, obviously, getting a top deck mode can get a little iffy. With Omnath, life gain, you know, I don't really have to explain myself too much there. That was great. Really liked that a lot of my um, threats cantripped. You know, obviously Omnath cantrips, Red and Six was really nice. Cycle your triumphs, whatever. That was great. I just loved four color control in general. Um, and I five owed. And what was funny is I even had 13 cyborg cards. Magic Online, if you export wear tear, sometimes if you have a like a bad text file, the game can't read the slash slash or, or whatever. And uh, yeah, I had a 13 cyborg card. Didn't matter, didn't need the wear tears. And uh, yeah, Crush, that was great. I really liked it over Jeskai. Honestly, I think that's my favorite deck so far. I had way more fun playing. I mean, obviously, I'm going to have way more fun playing this deck when I 5-0 compared to, like, Merktide. But I really, really did like the deck. And I think I personally would go with that over Jeskai Control now. Gab, I know you haven't played much modern this week, but, you know, have you thought of the head-to-head between Jeskai and Four Color in the meta? You know, do, do you have a preference? Yeah, I do. I like the Four Color deck as well. Exactly what you said. I've, I've played both. When I won with Jeskai Control, I felt like everything had to go my way and the deck was fine, but nothing special. And when I was playing with that four color deck, it just felt way more powerful, you know, way easier most of the time and just feels good. Fun deck, really powerful cards. Omnath's um, a pretty fun card. You know, Ren and Six is, is one of the best cards in modern still. So. Kind of, you know, feel like I agree with what you, what you said, and sounds like you're, yeah, you had a good experience with the deck. Andrea had a good experience with the deck. Someone for the last prelim was the deck, and um, it's pretty, pretty good in, pretty good in the meta. Kind of the same principles of the Jessica, you know, no counter spells, just removal, powerful threats. And just trying to be a bit bigger than what everyone else is doing. You know, people are playing these Lurus decks or these Blue-Red decks, and you're going slowly over the top. It's kind of a classic and constructed. You usually want to be the slightly bigger deck. You know, if the best deck is super aggro, you want to be aggro but a bit bigger. If it's like aggro, you want to be kind of mid-range. If mid-range is the best deck, you usually want to be control. And if control is the best deck, you know, it loops around. You want to be super aggro. So... I think that's why the the deck is is good right now because a lot of these strats in modern are kind of aggro between aggro and mid range and you're kind of a 
true mid-range deck. Yeah, I think these, yeah, as like your yeah, Delver style decks are the kind of flavor of the month at the moment. In, in, in modern, these kind of Dragon Rage Channel or rag, Ragavan packages, there is this kind of little bit of a, you know, tempo deck arms race essentially where you kind of start really aggressive and then like people add a little bit more and more control elements like you know if you think about it in the context of the blue red murktide deck like you know so if you have a couple of archmages charms in your deck then so suddenly you have like that kind of advantage in the mirror versus someone who's got spell pierces or whatnot and this deck is yeah that's that, that step at step just a one one step above people who are trying to one-up themselves in the kind of delver mirrors essentially you know you kind of all good threats plenty of removal and just position position pretty pretty nicely. Harry, you said you played against a bunch of creature decks. What creature decks were you playing against? Because the only creature decks I've played against in the format of of late of have been elementals. So did you get a chance to play that matchup? I played against elementals. I also played against I'll just get up. Played against some like mono white deck who's kind of just trash. Um I played against like a Grixis mid rangey deck with Loris. It didn't play any counterspell. I think it just played four drown and lock as their interaction. Uh, five color elementals and team of rhinos were on my creature decks um against five color elementals that was actually really interesting i don't know if it was a stock list they were playing cavern of souls and ren and six into fairy time raveler i was kind of confused by that um so that's actually that's the count that's canister's build with like, mm. with the planeswalkers in the main and there's another version which has like unsettled mariner and voice of resurgence yeah well my opponent had all four of those they did have unsettled mariner voice and teferi and ren is that stock or I that think doesn't ren sound stock to me i think ren and teferi were always in the deck in some numbers maybe it was only a couple copies but yeah the thing is supreme verdict is just so good i got myself into a spot where i what did i do i i did the third trigger from omnath to kill all the planeswalkers and then i bounced my omnath with teferi and then supreme verdict and then they just lost. Um, that was pretty sick. I just I felt like my deck could always draw removal spell with four prismatic ending, four bolt, two path. What else? We had two fire ice. You've got Ren and Six Ping. That was extremely relevant. Teferi Time Raveler bounce was insane. This deck is just all kill, 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 or draw. And that to me lined up very well against elementals. I mean, obviously I probably got a bit lucky, but I feel like this deck is just perfectly lined up to be creature decks. Um, as well as, like, the Grixis Lurus deck, it was kind of like a tempo-y style deck with Ragavan, Dragon Range Chandler, Drown the Lock. That was also a really good matchup. Just slam it to Fairy, and then they just can't do anything. That that Grixis deck is what uh, Yedrick has been playing a lot of recently. I think that the original list came from Jerry Thompson. Yeah. But it's it did, had a pretty good weekend, actually. I think that Yedrick top-aided either the challenge or the PDQ maybe even top four to, and there was another one of the one of these three bigger bigger modern events on magic online where there were three copies of that deck in the top eight actually i think Yendrick, i think it might be the one that Yendrick top eight because he played the mirror in the quarterfinals but this yeah. deck's this deck's pretty pretty good uh if i was going to build a kind of dragon race channel a deck that had lurus rather than murktide region it's definitely the direction i would go so you know for those of you who haven't seen the list you know harry's right it's kind of like dragon race channel ragavan's package with Lurus, but then it has you know, four Drown in the Lock, four Expressive Iteration, and four Snapcaster Mage. You go along with three Colligan's Command and a bunch of removal and a bit of discard. So it's it's kind of doing the best uh, multiple, you know, two for one game and in the in the Delva the Delva Star matchup. So it's probably it's got a pretty good matchup against uh, against Blue Red Murktide. 
largely depending on you know, how many hours of Mokta you actually have in your deck, because sometimes you can just get them, right? If you just put the 8-8 into play, they can't really kill it sometimes. But you know, the Gendrick has two copies of Seal of Removal and maybe some Terminates as well, if, if, if memory serves. So yeah. it's a really good two for one deck, but yeah, not not surprising that it's got a little bit of a salt, a little bit of a blind spot to decks that are really just playing cards that, that you know cost a lot of mana and essentially just pull their weight at for those mana costs. Because if you get into this kind of top deck war where you're just like trading removal spells over and over again, the person who's got like your know, Jason Mind Sculptor and Teferi Time Raveler or Teferi Hero of Dominaria in their deck is going to be an advantage in Omnath as well, obviously, versus the person who's got like a three three. Yeah, I want to add, Yendrick's probably kind of listening to the cast right now, screaming, why am I, you know, I said I play Teferi and they can't do anything. I I didn't see any Unholy Heat, I believe. So I don't know if Yendrick's playing Unholy Heat, but um, yeah, that's an answer to Teferi. I guess maybe my opponent wasn't playing any, but um, yeah, I really liked that. I mean, obviously, if I'm playing Ren, Teferi, Omnath, you know, if I just keep slamming every turn, even if you have Unholy Heat, there's only so many Heats you can cast. Um, But yeah, I wanted to... Kind of pivot a bit. I wanted to talk about Team of Rhinos. I think, you know, many have listened over the past weeks. I've kind of bashed the deck saying it was bad. I don't know if it was Doomwake who came up with the innovation or if he saw it. But I saw Doomwake talking about how Prismari Command is actually the solution to fixing the deck. He Instead of having subtlety in the list now, he has four Force Negation, four Fury. That's the red um, Evoke creature, which deals four damage divided between any target creature and or Planeswalker. And... That was way scarier than Subtlety when I played against uh, uh, Team of Rhinos in this league. Now, they had both Fury and Subtlety, my opponent, so I don't know if they were playing, like, a lot of Fury, but that was definitely a problem. But I saw a lot of comments, you know, asking why are they playing Prismari Command, and that's because it's blue and red, so you can pitch it to Fury, you can pitch it to Force of Negation, but also it's artifact removal, so you get rid of Chalice of the Void, you know, a good thing about Brazen Borrower is you're like, I'll bounce your Chalice and then cast Cascade on my turn, but then obviously they just play the Chalice for zero again. So if you have like a Supreme Verdict plus Chalice on zero, they're in the same spot, whereas Prismari Command obviously gets rid of it, and then you go Rhinos, Rhinos. So that was um, a huge improvement. Obviously I haven't played with it, but I think that that is what the deck needs to be good, as well as Fury is way better, because you don't want a subtlety of Ragavan, um, and also... Um, what is it? I feel like you're more likely to be able to get a Teferi Time Raveler um, than Subtlety does, because you Subtlety, then you top the Teferi, you know, whereas Fury can sometimes kill it. And I actually got into a load of spots like that, because sometimes you just get clunky draws, you have to draw with Teferi to hit a land or something, and then they Fury. So I felt a lot more scared of Fury, and I think that that's the build that people should be working towards, as well as I think Doomwake said he went like 9-1, or... Something like he was doing really, really well. I think Fury is a nice innovation for this deck. It solves a lot of problems, like Teferi Time Raveler, as you said. Also, the lack of interaction on turn one as well. You know, not being able to interact with the Ragavan on turn one is a big downside to this deck. It lets the, kind of, the blue decks or the other decks get a mana advantage on you and, and interact nicely with Rhinos. Uh, and Prismari Command kind of fueling the pitch the pitch side of that, while it's also being a card, you can pitch the Force Negation as a... Is, is another nice pickup. So yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good piece of innovation for that deck that helps solve a lot of the difficult problems that it has and strengthen the deck overall. But it does seem to be taking away slots from uh, some of the more controlling elements that give you know decks like this, they tap out decks like fits, like you know, crypto, cryptic commands, no Jason Mindscopers anymore. So you, you gain somewhere, but you lose in another. 
another spot. But yeah, it's a nice direction to take a deck that largely has the metagame like has has adapted to this deck and people know how to beat it, I guess. Yeah, Arvel has been impressed by Fury. I remember I was trying to fit a Fury in the sideboard of my living in deck was very red very few red cards. It was basically violent outburst. And I think it was back maybe when there was still Ceridon in the deck and I had maybe, you know, an extra dead gun I was bringing in, or maybe it was some fire ice. And I kind of liked it, and it's pretty easy to cast. It's a really relevant body. It's just Solitude and Fury have have always been good for me in small numbers in, in pretty much any deck. And I, I don't know if you played it with the one copy of Solitude in the Omnab deck, Harry, but the one copy has been so solid for me. Just the life gain you needed. It was kind of the same in the Jessica list. I went out of my way to add life gain. You were talking about that. That was a problem with the deck. I had one Helix, one Solitude, just to not get burned out by you know a couple of running bolts once you've taken the the game over against something like Murktide. And Solitude's just been so it's such a good card to have in your deck when you have a bunch of Teferi Time Ravelers. Um, so yeah, not not surprised that that Fury's doing work. Yeah, I think the one thing that I like the most about these creatures is just that <laughs> when uh, the good thing, I think I think actually what is nice about Fury in this deck is that I talked about a lot with Team of Rhinos is once you get to like turn five, if you don't have Rhinos, you're screwed because you just flood and die. Whereas like hardcasting Fury is really good value. You get a 3-3 double strike and you kill something on the opponent's board. With Solitude, it just, it's just a like a small flyer Aether Gust where it can only be something on the stack which is a lot harder because it's very obvious you know when your team of rhinos opponent it passes with mana doesn't make rhinos you know they have to have the solitude or, or basically nothing so i feel like the hard cast part uh, also heavily improves the deck so everything about fury is nice and you mentioned solitude as well in the control decks i like that because it's the same idea you know it's it's like this nice effect um on the earlier turns and then you know, when you draw that one of, you can just hard cast it and you're not going to flood on them because you only have one. So I like all these aspects and I think that change really has helped the deck and uh, I definitely will try and uh, test it out before ne next uh, podcast episode. But one one thing I wanted to ask you, Paz, I saw you putting in the uh, podcast group chat or maybe it was the Discord, something about Blue Red Murktide playing against uh, the Mirror in one of the finals of the challenges. Now, um, I think there's a lot of talk going around, you know, what's the best deck in modern kind of thing. Always people are asking that. But now the meta is really settling down, right? We're not really playing a lot of modern now because there's a load of established decks. Do you still believe that or do you think that Blue Red Merc is the best deck in the format? You know, what's your opinion since you're really the one out of all of us really uh, pushing to tune this list? I think it has the chops to be to be the best deck in the format. I think the title probably has to go to Hammer Time, really. But at the same time, that deck is more able to be targeted, if you know what I mean. If I really wanted to go out of my way to beat Hammer Time, I could. I could load up on Explosives. I could load up on uh, various different Shatterstorm, Hercules Recall effects. And you could really go get the job done because the deck is you know, not one-dimensional, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's doing something relatively linear. Whereas I think that if you, you can't really go out of your way to beat Murktide, you can beat it, but you can't go turning it. It has inherent advantages against a lot of different things, and it does it does just things just very efficiently. Like the, the deck 
the format is now so full of powerful one and two mana cards in blue and red that all work together nicely that it's hard for it to really be be bad. I I would always turn up to a tournament and play it and not think it's an embarrassing choice, but I think you can definitely make arguments that the, the best decks are hammer time. Yeah, Murktide's a bit like a John type of deck where it's really hard to attack, it has versatile cards, cheap frets, just how do you, you can't really hit out a deck like that super easily. You just have to have your whole deck, you know, with that deck in mind when you build it. Yeah, I think you're like, you either have an intrinsic good matchup against that style of deck, or you don't. And it's really hard for you to kind of take a deck that has a bad matchup against it intrinsically and turn it into a positive matchup. Whereas if my deck has a bad hammer time matchup, I can kind of go out of my way to beat it. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean. Yeah, you can play cards like Wear Tear, etc. So, um, I, yeah, well, I was surprised you didn't say Blue Red Merc. That I, if I had to answer that question, I might just go with Blue Red Merc that over Hammer Time, actually, because of the reasons you said, I guess. So, yeah, if I had to pick a best deck. Or I if I had to pick I was, between I was, I was mostly just hedging, hedging largely on the head to head. I think that I think that the Hammer Time has the advantage in the head to head. And yeah, yeah, but I don't that's... think modern's narrow enough that that's enough to tip the scales. I think I, if I had to go in a tournament, I, I don't know. I actually have never have any of us ever played Hammer Time. No, nope. I've played against it enough to feel like I don't understand what's going on. Yeah, but you still don't realize. I mean, you can tell how good it is because you know we've all had these games where we feel like we're drawing everything we need to beat the deck, and we still end up losing. Whether it's, you know, I remember losing was Red Black against it, despite drawing a bunch of removal in Culligan's Command. I remember losing was Rhino against it, dis- despite curving removal spells into ch- Free Force of Vigor into my Cascade cards. That I guess, so yeah, I guess we, we do get an idea of how, how good the deck can be when we lose these games. I want another thing that Fury is actually quite good against, really quite good against Hammer Time as well. I've even seen Murktide lists with some Furies in the sideboard to presumably to get an advantage there. And I think it's one of the big reasons that uh, Canister won the challenge in uh, with Elementals on Sunday. So for those of you who didn't didn't realize Canister wins with five color Elementals on Sunday in the Sunday Modern Challenge. And in the top four and in the finals match, he plays against Hammer Time. And honestly, maybe one of the games was close out of four. Uh, the combination of uh solitudes and furies backed up by teferi time raveler to kind of stop the instant speed interaction and also ren and six to ping down small the small creatures like esper sentinel and memni really make that matchups uh quite favorable and i think it's one of the big reasons elemental so is so powerful i mean even the incidental stuff that's good against murktide is good against hammer time here cards like endurance you know, they're obviously great against Blue Red Murktide, but at the same time, they also just a flying blocker and surprise blocker for, against Hammer Time and can turn off Lurus or, you know, take away, take away some of the, the, the key spells to buy back with Lurus in a, in a game where they're trying to fight the attrition battle. And honestly, it's like Hammer Time's just really bad against killing Risen Reef, which is one of the key cards in that deck at uh, you're winning the long game. Yeah, I love that Cancer just, you know, streamlined the deck. Got rid of the mediocre cards, the voice of resurgence, the Mar- mariner just playing free copies of rent, free copies of Teferi, all the, the good value elementals. They're still flink and harbinger, 
is that card still pretty key in the deck? And yeah, the, the deck list is just, as as some people like, I, I'm not a big fan of the word clean, because a lot of times my deck lists are not quote-unquote clean, but I think clean is kind of... Yeah, I agree uh, with you. In fact, I, you point out Clanking Harbinger. Hey, Harbinger has so much uh, synergy with this deck. It's really important with Ephemerate. It's really good important with Risen Reef. It's really the ephemerate, ephemerate combo is really nice where you can go ephemerate my, my Flamekin Harbinger, search up the elemental that I want, and then put it into my hand with the Risen Rift trigger. It's a really nice interaction that lets you kind of go and get a Fury or lets you go and get a Solitude on demand when you need it. When from the I've been playing this match up a bunch with them from the blue red Murktide side actually, and figuring out what you actually need to kill is it took took me a little while and I, I've managed to start winning the matchup now that I realize that the only things that I really need to kill are Risen Reef. Everything else is kind of irrelevant. If you can, if you can, if you can get Murktide into play before they have five mana, then you can just they can't Cavern of Souls their Solitude, so you can counterspell that. And the other card that's key to counter is just uh, is Ephemerate itself. So the key to that matchup from the blue the blue deck side at least is keep Risen Reef off the table, and you can probably grind the rest of it out. But you know, elements like Terra Time Raveler and Ren and Six make that a lot harder from Canis's version. Yeah, I personally don't like the Elementals deck. Um, this was actually obviously nowhere near as powerful, but Elementals was somewhat played a long time ago. After Hogak got banned, I remember playing against this de- uh, an Elementals deck a couple times. The thing that I hate about these decks um, that revolve around Risen Reef is that you kill the Risen Reef and then you're playing like crap, you know, the crappy Harbinger, the red cantrip. Oh, I guess it goes gets Risen Reef, but it's also slow. And now that they're playing Ephemerate as well, you're way weaker to Teferi Time Raveler. That was huge in my matchup. You know, I play Teferi Time Raveler. They can't do anything. They waste their whole turn. Then I get to untap. You know, I felt like Teferi Time Raveler was really time walk against them. It's quite cute this like um i guess for those listening that don't know what this deck is doing you know obviously it's a risen reef deck but you play all the evoke creatures and then you evoke them and then ephemerate them so you get the trigger twice and then obviously it's not evoked anymore so you just keep it on the board so the main one is like you know evoke solitude ephemerate solitude you get two swords to plowshares and the 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 bodies which is quite nice but i think it's kind of too cute you know, like Pat said, you can you can play around it once you know the jig is up. I feel like this is one of those decks where if you don't know what they're doing, you know, they're going to get you with the ephemerate because people, like, for example, I didn't really know what my opponent was doing game one. They were mana screwed. They were stuck on two lands for ages, but because I was just kind of um, just slamming things, you know, they were able to um, evoke a creature, ephemerate it, and then they could have potentially won, but obviously I had things in hand. Um, so I think it operates on low land count most of the time, and it, it has this nice gimmick. But once you know what's happening, you you can easily, easily, easily play around it. And that's why I'm not a fan of this deck, and I think uh, it's just a flash in the pan. Wow, seeing Cancer just has to rely on gimmicks to win uh, games of magic. I mean, don't forget, I, I want to know how many people played against Canister in this modern challenge not knowing that he's playing Ephemerate, right? I think like, Ephemerate's pretty stock, and I think you're a bit harsh with Harbinger. I agree I'm the, I'm the la- last person to like these kind of cards, you know, people will suggest these tutors, these, uh, I hate it, but when you're tutoring for cards that can't trip, you know, you said Risen Reef's kind of the key card, you get that, 
getting an Omnath 2 card's just so amazing. So I think it's okay-ish. It also just blocks Ragavan. It trades with Ragavan in the early turns. That's a pretty big deal. You just need these these early plays or else you, you get ran over. So uh, I think Arbinger makes sense, and I think it probably carries its weight, if I had to guess. There's actually two Elementals listed top eight events this weekend, and they, they really are you know, completely different in a lot of respects. The Saturday challenge got top aided by a uh, person called you know, Magic Online username is SS0, and they're, they're playing you know what we've been describing, this kind of all elemental. So they kind of have Flame King Harbinger, they have Unsettled Mariner, Voice of Resurgence, they have uh, the Furies, the Solitudes, they also have like a copy of Reveler, a Court of Notions, uh, a Single Subtlety, a Foundation Breaker, things to tutor for with the Harbinger. And no planeswalkers in the main to go. They're just four ephemerates, the only spells. Then you take Canis's list, which is kind of, it's like the Gapta is clean. It's trimmed all the fat away. And it's just got the best cards in there. I do think that this deck is more than just a flash in the pan. I think it has some nice positional advantages, particularly in game one. I think it's really quite hard to be a Ragavan deck and win game one against this against decks like this, like, you know, Omnaths, good blockers for your creatures, so you don't really get on board. You know, even copy, even cards like, uh, you know, Endurance is really horrible to play against when you're trying to, like, set up a Merktide region or attack, you know, forced to attack with your Dragon Rage channel. So, yeah, this is like a challenge. And, and, and four Cavernous Souls as well really makes makes your life quite hard. So I think this has got some got some positional advantages in the format. And, you know, Canister obviously did well versus versus Hammer Time, so that's, like a, that's, a, that's a pretty good matchup overall, I suspect. And it does really go over the top of all the kind of mid-range creature decks at the very least, at least on face value. So I think this is a little bit more than a flash in the pan, but at the same time, I, I kind of understand your skepticism a little bit. I, I really have found it, it's, you like it significantly easier once you realize that if you just kill Risen Reef, nothing else really matters because they're just a bunch of grizzly bears. I'm not sure. I, I think, I think we'll see what happens when we turn up next week, though. Yeah, I just think, like, you get a huge edge with this deck because I feel, I don't know, I did not see this deck before this week. I did not know that they were, like, Evoke Ephemerate. You're gonna, you know, you can steal a whole game with that, with that, um, like, I don't know what you want to say, combat trick? I don't know what you would call it, right? I really, like, like think that you would get a lot of people with that in the, in the challenge, not knowing I would assume that people who turn up to the challenge or the PDQs are significantly more more prepared than you might be for your league for the, your to make your YouTube video for the weekend or whatever. Yeah, well, we've been podcasting for four weeks and we haven't talked about it once. No, I, I don't know if we haven't talked about it, but it's definitely a deck that's been around. Had a... I, I've known I've known about it. Maybe 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 I'm just more of a kind of deckless delver than you are. Like I just kind of like when deckless hits come out, I just look at them and I just read them idly in my kind of lunch break or when I'm bored at work. I just you know, flip through what's come out on Magic Online or on or on Goldfish and have a read, but. Yeah, I, I I've known about this deck and this interact this set of interactions since Modern Horizons came out, and seen it seen it in small numbers in leagues. So, yeah, I would expect that it's not like a complete like surprise to anyone who's playing against it. It's just a collection of good cards, honestly, and I really like the way that uh, Canis has tuned it up. One of the problems is that like with the Elemental Tribe, I think is that the two drop slot is just really quite bad. I mean, Unsettled Mariner and Voice of Resurgence are okay, but they're not actually very good. Renin Six is actually a great magic card uh, on on two mana, and it lets you it, let, it lets you kind of like fix your mana, play a nice mana base, interacts positively with a lot of cards that like get under you, like Ragavan and 
and Dragon Range Chandler. Also, just just tangentially from the Merktide side, this is another matchup where boarding out all your creatures is really good because <laughs> you don't ever want to put Ragavan into play against this deck. Yeah, well, I think uh, got through almost everything. No, that's everything I wanted to talk about in modern. I think uh, it's a good time to move on to historic, though, as we have a lot to talk about in that format with a new set coming out. Uh, Gab, you know you're the historic player of the group. I think you understand the most about this set, so why don't you kind of introduce everyone listening that don't know what what is this new set coming out? Yeah, they announced a new set called Jumpstart Historic Horizons, and it is what the what the name says. It's one of these Jumpstart sets, and it's going to have cards for Historic from Modern Horizons. Almost 800 cards, was half of them being totally new to MTG Arena. And they've got special MTG Arena cards, just exclusive cards to MTG Arena that don't exist in paper. And the reason is they use, um, you know, a bunch of mechanics that cannot really be replicated in paper, a bit in the style of Hearthstone, and it's three different mechanics. You have Seek, which randomly pulls cards from your library that meets a criteria. So a card will be like, if it if it dies, Seek 2 meaning you get a random card that costs two or less from your deck or something like that, you know. You've got something, a keyword that's perpetually, meaning it changes a card no matter where it goes, graveyard, back to your hand, and play for the rest of the game. And you've got the Conjure mechanic, which creates a card for you to use, which is basically what, Pat, you can remind me the name of that card, that the card that made Lotuses and Shivans and Brain uh, Geyser. Gareth the One-Eye. Yeah, so I think basically Gareth the one I had Conjure, but was that it being called Conjure? So yeah, that, that's for the mechanics. And yeah, it's, it's going to really shake up things. I've been playing a bit of Historic, and it's a decent bit of Jump Food and Gruel and Jeskai. The format really hasn't changed since Brainstorm got uh, suspended. Way less, I guess, way less of the creativity deck. That might be one of the decks that got hurt the most by the loss of Brainstorm. I guess people have kind of dropped Phoenix too. And um, yeah, it didn't really, not so far anyways, didn't really feel like it opened up the the format much. I've been playing a couple couple decks, mostly one deck, based around Bard class. For those of you who don't know, Bard class is one of the new rares from D&D. It's one of the classes, it's a red green one it costs a red and a green it's an enchantment and as long as it's in play whenever you play a legendary creature it gets a plus one plus one counter when it comes into play you can level it up once for a green and red and when you do that your legendary spells cost red and green less to cast but that doesn't reduce generic mana cost so to get full value you want to play legend spells that have both red and green in your deck or in the casting cost and then for five mana, it has another level, still does the first two. And on top of that, whenever you play a legendary spell, you reveal the top two, and it's kind of like, um, you know, light up the stage, basically. You can play these cards until enough turn. And the way I build it, and I think the way you want to build around Bard class is really maximize the, the second ability. And, you know, not play cards like questing bees that are only going to get their casting cost reduced by one. Uh, you really want to go red-green. And honestly, the options are not that... Uh, you don't have that many options. You kind of have to play almost all of them to 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 get a deck. So it's 
It's Galia. It's a new one from the D&D set, the red-green one. You've got um, the Radas, both Rada, the free for haste and the free free that lets you play lands from the top of your deck. You've got Grimgully. If you're a modern player, maybe that's a card that's familiar. It's a card that was played in the Goblins deck. And, um, you know, a few others. And and the deck's been sweet. It's obviously, like, super busted when you have Bard class going and a bit underwhelming when you don't. You know, you still have Lanor Elf, so you can still go turn one Lanor Elf into a free drop, into a four drop, maybe win like that. You get Giganta, that's really good in this deck. And, um, yeah, you, you can win some long games, too. You have some pretty cool turns once you you let you fully level up Bard class where you kind of draw your entire deck in some ways and you've got Samut, which is the Samut, which is free four for five, double strike haste, give haste to all your creatures. So that can be a good finisher. So that's what I've been up to. I also updated Temper Steel was portable hole in the sideboard. And I think a couple of copies in the sideboard, a couple of copies in the main, and Ingenious Smith, which is is fine. It's kind of like in modern hammer time, you know, pretty solid, but not crazy. Portable hole. I thought the deck would be actually played in a tournament this weekend. I was debating between dead and bar class, and I thought the deck would be good against Auras, because after sideboard, I would just have access to four portable hole and four glass casket with Smith to find them. And unfortunately for me, I just got paired a couple times against John Food who went one and one. Then I kind of misplayed my my games against a Grixis deck. I think Auras ended up doing well in that tournament. So yeah, it's going to be really, really big changes with the, these new cards, because I feel like right now his strike's probably pretty stale. There's maybe Couple decks people, couple decks people haven't really figured out, but uh, it's yeah, going to be kind of crazy. Looking in, from the outside looking in, historic doesn't seem like it's changed significantly since the banning of brainstorm. I mean, I've I've watched, I've played a little bit on arena to clear some quests and watched a little bit of you know, Magic Online and um, uh, online online kind of results on Twitter and and on streams. But this is obviously this is going to change everything. This uh, jumpstart set and. It's just gonna. It's basically the beginning of a brand new era of Magic. Essentially, one where they finally bit the bullet and leaned all the way into this digital client and the capabilities of digital. The things that we're seeing here, like you know, seek and making perpetual perpetual effects, and you know, making essentially cards from outside the game and putting them in your hand. These aren't anything new. These are things we've seen in all other digital kind of card games, like Eternal or Hearthstone or whatnot, what have you. Before. And Magic's finally going down that route. And it's really the first proper separation of historic from the paper game of Magic the Gathering. And it's a big moment, I think. I, I, I can't imagine that it's going to, that, that historic's going to look the same and feel the same after that. So I, I don't know. You've probably been asked a million times on your stream what you actually think of the, the change overall. And I'm sure that people listening are, are curious as to anybody's opinion on it. Really, it's the talk. It's the talk of every Twitch chat I've been, I've been in since they announced it. So I feel like who who's who reckons the best person to, to 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 lead off this this discussion? Harry, do you want to start, or Gab, do you want to go? I'll go. I'll just say what I've been saying. I'm not. I'm not too sure. I think it's good. I don't spend a ton of time thinking about that stuff. I've also never played a game of Hearthstone in my life. So it sounds like I've heard that's one of the least favorite part of Hearthstone for some players, the the whole extra RNG. But 
you know, it's also usually the people who who complain who don't like stuff that are the loudest. So maybe that's not true. What one? What just just uh, just just to be to be fair to Hearthstone, the random element of stuff in Hearthstone like this is actually really important in my mind because Hearthstone has no mana system that you don't have to draw lands to cast your spells. You just get a land, a mana crystal every turn, essentially. So you start with one mana, then two mana, then three mana, then four mana, then five mana. So you never get mana screwed. So they have to introduce random elements into the game some other way. And effects like this are one of the ways that they introduce that variance aspect. I, I agree with you. It's probably wildly unpopular, but this isn't going to stop Magic having the mana system. The, the mana system in Magic is essentially that that RNG component from Hearthstone. So... It's interesting to have this kind of randomness tacked on top of randomness again for for, for magic. But yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't mean to interrupt for too long. Just you can you can go on and tell me how you feel about it. I just wanted to defend Hearthstone's randomness elements essentially. Yeah, well, I'll say I've been introduced to a little bit of extra randomness with the Indian the Daryl, and while I don't hate it, I don't think it's necessarily a net positive. I also think one of the reasons why magic is such a great game is that this struck the perfect balance of luck and skill and by adding extra rng or maybe tilting it a bit too too far in the direction of of luck so that that could be dangerous and um yeah you know i i i I play magic because i like i like that balance i don't play chess because it's a lot of work and you can only beat someone who's worse than you and i don't really play you know casino games because i don't like knowing that i'm just gonna lose in the long run no matter what and yeah i think magic has that nice balance so i'm not too sure um you know i like the fact that they're you know if they're gonna be like historics the the arena format and it's not me a paper format then why not, you know, why not take advantage of that if you, you've made your piece and you've decided you're never going to try to to have, um, you know, historic as a paper format. Um, it's good testing ground. You can always change it later. That's the cool thing about Arena for them. So, you know, I'm open to the idea. Well, Gab, I think you're too too easy on Watsy on this one. I'll take the non-MPL standpoint. This is shit. Okay. What's so good about magic and online magic? It up, you know, you get to play paper magic afterwards. I mean, these these business decisions, do they not want people to jump to paper magic after going through arena? I got into magic through magic duels. Uh, sort of. I saw Paper Magic and then went home and got Magic Duels because it was free. And then because I liked Magic Duels, I then continued to buy Magic cards. So I find that this decision is super dumb because if someone's like, oh, I really like the, I don't know, whatever mechanic, perpetually mechanic, right? And then they go play Paper and it's not there. I think it's just, why are you separating the communities? It makes no sense. Let me, let me stop you right there, Harry. Yeah, go Perpetually on. mechanic already exists in Paper Magic. Bond enchantments. No, it's called the card Riding the Deluge Horse from Portal Three Kingdoms. Oh, uh, okay. Well, then I'll change my okay to Seek. For example, one thing I hate about Seek is it says ra- it randomly pulls cards from your library that meets the criteria without shuffling, so you can't even play this on paper. 
You can't even, like, proxy it because you can't, like, pull a card out of your library without cheating and as well as randomly. What What is the point? Like, I don't mind them doing, like, arena-exclusive cards that's been done in the past. But to me, this is just completely counterintuitive to their whole business plan. They want to pull people from Hearthstone to Magic and then not pull them to the paper game? Right? Do you see what I'm saying? This makes no sense. As well as, like, I saw people making the argument in Twitch chat. Um, oh, well, these cards aren't even good with these new mechanics. Then why bother? Then why bother? If you're going to make new mechanics that are trash, why why do it? Why do it? Because they're not even applicable to paper. Like, if they were, like, somewhat playable on paper, if you wanted to proxy, fine. But I think this is just completely pointless. Right. So I think it's hard to say how, how good these guys are going to be when we've got an 800-card set that hasn't been any anywhere near spoiled spoiled yet. I mean, I doubt we even have 100 cards here. We've probably about about 50, 50 cards that we know about so far. It's hard to say, you know, this will have no impact or anything like that. In fact, it's almost impossible for 800 cards to get released into an ecosystem as small as historic and not have some impact, specifically considering they're designed to be in that format and that format only. I think I'm kind of halfway between where, where Gab is and, and, and where Harry is in terms of how I feel about things. I think that they have this client that they're very invested in and they have this format which basically doesn't mean anything. I'd like to point out the irony of calling a format historic and then doing this shit to it. That's just like ridiculous. You should probably <laughs> change. You should probably change the name of the format to just stupid shit that goes on whatever we feel like. But you know, anyway, historic is kind of a format that didn't really have an identity outside of a small amount of kind of forced play in in in, in competitive circuits. I think if you remember originally when they were like, oh, we we're announcing this historic format, it was an attempt to make the cards that you bought to rotate the roadhead that have standard worth something because they wouldn't let you dust anything on arena. And now they have this format where it's just kind of, yeah, your cards roadhead have standard and they're absolutely useless. Cause we have like all these like direct, direct injection sets that the, the, the format essentially revolves around mystic archives. It's just like got the most busted cards of all time. And like, you know, brainstorm, like what do they think? What were they thinking? Why do they think brainstorm was something reasonable to print anyway? Yeah, I'm 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 moving away from my my argument here. I think they have this format that, for all intents and purposes, is just useless. Like it doesn't mean anything to me. It has maybe it has a few players who kind of like think it's cool and think it's exciting. And like, why don't you just make it exciting for arena? Like, do some weird shit and then make it your experiment grounds, and that's okay. I suspect that this that this set's not actually going to be as popular as they're hoping to. I'm ho maybe I'm hoping, but maybe, or maybe I'm expecting this set won't be quite as popular as they're, they're expecting it to be if they don't provide proper competitive support for it. Like, you know, they don't make people play historic PDQs essentially on Arena or, uh, you know, they have the, the Arena weekends or whatnot, what, what Arena opens and stuff like that on them. That's the only reason that people will probably get out of bed to play historic in large numbers. And, you know, when you present a set that's like 780 cards. That's a lot of wild cards you got to get to like, you know, be, have that level of competitive flexibility required to build and like test and, you know, figure out, figure out what deck you're going to, deck you really want to play. So I, I don't know how it's, how popular it's going to be, but, you know, Historic's the only, the only format I would like them to do, to do something as experimental and strange as this in, but I don't, I don't think it's necessarily wrong of them to go down this route of experimenting in a format like Historic. Something after the announcement, something actually occurred to me, which uh, I hadn't thought about before. 
But did you know that Pioneer is the only Eternal format that isn't that doesn't have anything that was like directly printed into it legal? So no, like I didn't realize. So like what do you mean? Ex, ex, so not not talking about standard at all. Like non-rotating format, vintage, modern, legacy, commander, historic. All these formats have sets like Modern Horizons or Jumpstarts cards put into them in like in a non-organic manner. Pioneer is the only format which has just been like a set was printed for standard and then it became then it rotated out of standard and now it's legal in historic only. Oh, now it's legal. Standard, it's the only format remaining. Too. It's like an old Magic format. I mean, is Pioneer even a format anymore? Well, no, that's that's the irony. Of it, right? I think I think it is. People play Pioneer. Some people like Pioneer. I mean, they still have PDQs and Magic Online and stuff like that. But I just thought it was really ironic. The format that everyone kind of was like, ah, boo, this format doesn't exist. It's the only format that actually exists like a Magic format did five years ago. <laughs> yeah. uh, I see what you mean now. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, a, curio- it's a curiosity to me. I, and honestly, in all the kind of like, you know, month after month of like new sets coming out and, you know, one set, one spoiler season finishes, the next one starts and this kind of saturation... I'm just kind of numb to these, these kind of like you know, curated essentially curated sets coming into formats. Like I really like Modern Horizons and Modern Horizons too. I think it's done a really good thing for modern, but at the same time, it's no longer the format that it was. It's no longer the last ten years of Magic history and the best ofs and you know you know cross block synergies and stuff like that. Now it's like you know Unholy Heat's really efficient, and so is Dragon Race Channel. You put them in your deck, they're really good, and. Yeah, it's just funny to me that Pioneer is the only one that's kind of like just org- organic left behind. But um, yeah, this set coming out, I don't know how to feel about it. I probably, what it marks for me is me not playing Historic anymore. I will not play Historic anymore. I kind of got a bit excited with historic, with Mystical Archives and stuff like that and have been delving in. Like when, you, you know, Gab was testing for MPL and like I've been on that Discord server as well and, you know, you know, practicing there and kind of just, you know, getting a feel for the format and stuff like that has been enjoyable. But now that it's taking this turn and it's going to cost a lot of wild cards to keep up with it, I think I'm just going to stick to drafting and playing standard on Arena. I don't think that historics for me anymore. I think the disappointing part about Arena is I've spent about 300, 400 pounds on Arena. And right now I don't have one competitive deck in any format and I cannot do anything to my account to change that. I've given them like 300, 400 pounds. I'm a broke student. Most of that money is actually through very generous donations from fans. I think half of it's maybe mine. And I don't have one competitive deck. And that's a problem. That's an insane amount of money. I haven't even put in that much money in Magic Online. So there's a huge economics problem. To be fair, do you play your daily quests? No, I don't, but how 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 is that a good argument? I've spent four hundred pounds and you're telling me I, I need to play the game every day. Yeah, I mean I agree the the economy of Magic Arena is is not good. And I do think that's kind of a problem. I don't know how much that set's gonna cost. I heard it's six hundred dollars to get all the cards for one set. Yeah. And that's... I think this is gonna be a testing ground for how much people are willing to tolerate on this guy. When I said that this set might not be very popular, I think that this is the economic kind of constraint it's it's going to put on people is going to be a, a real test of uh, how people's loyalty to the magic arena but yeah go on go yeah someone was pointing out you, you only have to log in every three days you know to because you get to to stock up up to free quests so it's like an hour of play every three days and i think it goes a long way but 
Yeah, it, it is. Arena is a really expensive game. I didn't mind spending the money when, you know, as long as I'm an MPL and I'm a streamer, uh, I feel like I can, you know, suck it up. But it is expensive. And that's one of my worries. I do agree with your point. The fact that you want the crossover between paper and online, I think that's important. We'll see how important it is. And I'm also a bit worried that they're spreading us too thin with maybe too many formats for competitive. You know, you've got standard and limiteds coming back, and you've got modern. You still have turns and pioneer too. You've got historic and um, you've got these new sets coming out all the time. So it, it's a lot. I, I don't think I mind it so far. I feel like I've I've been, you know, there's always something different to play. So that's pretty cool, especially for a streamer. And, and also for a competitive player as well, like having a new format to tackle and new challenges to solve is actually part of the part of the fun. Part of the reason this MPL kind of year is being quite a drag is because the standard format hasn't changed a huge amount. And it's just been feeling like playing the same standard format over again. But I know that there's some kind of enjoyment from competitive from a competitive standpoint of like this is a fresh thing to tackle when it's like tournament time. Yeah. So I think it's you know, people say there's too many sets and stuff, but you don't have to play everything and it's kind of nice to always have something something new. So it's it's tough. It's it's tough to know exactly. I, I'm like you, Pat, I don't know where I stand about that, that new set we'll see. I think it's a good idea. I've I hope they have a vision. You know, a lot of when I bring that point up, there's a lot of cynicism, you know, people saying all they care about is making money and they don't have a vision and they're just doing it as they go. I, I hope they have an idea. I feel like they haven't really talked about that for historic, really what they want the format to be, or maybe I've missed it. But uh, you know, I hope I hope they have some kind of vision for midterm, you know, maybe not super long term, but at least two, three years. What what they want to do is competitive formats. I don't know. It's it's interesting, anyways. Yeah, it's definitely a tough area. I think honestly, though, like it seems cool that they're trying to make it a more casual game but that's not for me don't come talking to me right if you want <laughs> if you want an opinion on a casual magic game but um so yeah you play magic cool. online forever and ever and i'll be okay yeah i mean you can make formats that are casual i think as long as there's you know we'll see what what, what happens with organized play i think as long as they have as they said a robust organized play system there's you know and the historic is part of it. I don't think it'll be a casual format. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing is, the reason why I'm so passionate about my opinion is because historic is a competitive format, right? And if you're introducing these mechanics to competitive, I mean, eventually one of these cards is going to be good. So what's the problem, though, is... I think the problem is that you're dividing paper and online, and that wasn't what online was to begin with. I thought that, well, my opinion at least is paper is uh, what you like. And then ma I, th I always thought that paper is like FNM, GPs, etc. And obviously FNM can't run every single day in most places. So you play online between then. That's my opinion on Arena, etc. I think that the last two or so years of the MPL experiment has taught us that 
or at least told Watsi that trying to keep those two tracks or keep keep those two those two tracks together is really 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 hard to blend it like trying to get the points balance right for how you did on your arena tournament versus your you know your regional pdq like if you remember just before you know COVID stuff like there was this you know some points from P the paper pts were worth it was all adding to the same total essentially and things were just scaled differently depending on you know whether they were online or not and they were really trying to juggle that you know keeping these two things together and i think that was uh too hard and too messy so i think they're actually going to go the other way they're going to try and separate them entirely for this new uh, yeah, I'm not, structure I'm, I'm not sure if it was too hard i think it was definitely a challenge you could also argue that a lot of you know there was a lot of incompetence i don't think it was impossible we gave them a lot of feedback and it felt like they weren't listening we we were warning them about stuff you know i remember having a meeting with, with them there's like players and people in charge and we told them what we were worried about and a few weeks later they literally made a system was you know not taking that into account and it had the the, the flaws we were worried about so it was yeah. So it was. I agree. It was a challenge, but I I feel like you they could have come come up with something decent still. And well, I, I think that you know there's it's within their range to file it in the too hard basket and just separate. It's easier to separate it than it is to to figure out the perfect harmony. I also think there's a it's been a, a trouble a troubled period essentially because they've not a not had to try and figure out the balance because you know paper magic hasn't existed for 15, 18 months. And also, they haven't had a chance to test anything else out you know, at the same time. You know, they may have had bright ideas of how to fix it, but they haven't been able to. Anyway, I, I, I agree with you. I think there's it's a solution. There, there could there, there is a solution to the simultaneous equation. You can figure it out. We can figure out how to do this properly and keep them all, you know, keep the two things together. But I think that they're going to go the other direction out of laziness, convenience, uh, or maybe they've got like you like you said like like you hope that maybe they have a bigger idea. Just, in mind that we can see. I disagree. I don't see why they would have to to split the two. I think they can just come up with. I mean, I mean, I guess that's the whole point of their what they were talking about their new system, where they, maybe there won't be a point system, right? There would be just tournaments and in a vacuum and no, no points. Maybe some some ways to chain qualifications. Yeah. But I mean, the whole the whole art, the whole thing they want to change was to not have this pro system and not have these rewards for people who who grind and and do well consistently yeah, it, it, it might be a way of disincentivizing that kind of, or a way of mitigating the difficulty of scaling for one one thing one versus another yeah i guess at first they were like made it sound like there was going to be nothing for people who do consistently well and then kind of right away they they change a bit and they said there'll probably be, you know, ways to to stay qualified and stuff, even though there won't be maybe the rewards and of, of your rewards and the levels. So I don't think it's that hard. I mean, I think it's okay. You could have like these paper tournaments and then you can have arena opens and these arena opens can be historic, you know, it can be a historic standard and limited on arena and then Ooh, limited on arena. Ooh. And then standard, modern and limited in paper, maybe historic. Can't do historic in paper. Well, I mean, um, Pioneer. Sweet, sweet Pioneer. The salt, yeah. the, the salt of the earth magic format. 
It's, never it's officially my new favorite magic format now that I've realized that it's the only one that just contains cards that were printed in the standard. Pioneer was just dealt a really rough hand. Really oh, rough hand. We've talked about it. Horrible beats. Yeah. It was it was kind of okay, and it looked like it was going to pick up, and then COVID happened. So like, Honestly, yeah, we might we might get two years down the line of like organized play starting up again in paper, and we, we regard Pioneer as a format that's you know exists and people play and has has relevancy, and we talk about it a bit more. But yeah, over the last eighteen months, it's definitely just kind of fallen to the back the back end of the things I care about. Well, we've talked a lot about the new set. We didn't. We're not really gonna do a deep dive in the card that they spoiled so far. They've spoiled a bunch, but there's slivers are coming to historic. You've got affinity cards like Thought Monitor. You've got ninja cards, ninja of the deep powers, and so far out of the the you know the gems of Modern Horizon two, you've got Dragon Rage Chandler and Unholy Heat are maybe the two big ones. Esper so, as well. Yeah, as for Sentinels, that gives you a little idea of, of what's coming. You know, no no Ren and Six yet. No, what what are the super busted ones out of Modern Horizon and Modern Horizon 2? Hogak. Urza. Yeah, no Urza, no Hogak. Oh, you know, it looks Dragon, like they're printing Thalia's Lieutenant as well. Dra- Dragon Rage Chandler was out. Bubble, probably not nearly as good. So we'll see. But um, yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it some more next week. But uh, we wanted to talk a tiny bit about Vintage Cube. They they got rid of a lot of bad cards. They added some some new cards, and they added Palace Jailer. And I just had a mini rant about the Monarch and the Monarch and how it's just so busted. Last time around, they added the blue one. It's not a. It's kind of how would you say, in those, in a quiz? No, what's the word when it looks like it doesn't doesn't look like much, but. Innocuous. Innocuous, exactly. Is it's basically a, a blue blue one. What does it do? It's the same as it's a charm sleep or a cost yeah. of Rogue. Yeah, and that card was so busted whenever I played with it. It was totally obscene. Pals Jailer, same deal. There's the green one, something bounty where it's green, green two enchantment. You become the monarch, and in your upkeep, if you're the monarch, you can put a creature into play or a permanent, or maybe just creature and land. And if you don't have the monarchy, you can still put a land in play. I drafted it a couple times. I'd never got it going, so I'm not sure how good it is. But yeah, Palace Jailer, kind of obscene. I'm not sure how I feel about that. They're kind of the slow burn, you know. They're kind of feels bad to lose to the the mon the monarchy. I feel. I definitely I definitely agree with you that Palace Jailer is completely busted. And at the beginning of this uh, episode, or before we started, I was musing as to whether or not I think it might be the best white card in the cube, in the vintage cube, and I, I can't think of anything better at this point in time off the top of my head. Maybe someone can correct me in chat, but um, yeah, Monarch is definitely obscenely powerful, and it's getting to the point where it's almost a mistake to kind of like pass a lot of the cards with it on it. It's just personal howling mine's really good, you know, and oh, oh mate, how you doing? <laughs> But yeah, Vintage Cube, I drafted a few times, you know, as fun as always, especially the first few drafts. And um, I was a bit surprised I got rid of Niv, the five-color Niv. It seemed like people enjoyed that archetype. So I was surprised to see that card go, but pretty much every other card they got rid of. I think they got rid of Birthing Pod too. Yeah, I saw Birthing Pod was struck from the list. But um, yeah, overall, I think some some pretty pretty decent changes. 
I never I never get around to playing it when I when it comes out. I feel like it's a sink of my play points and I don't really enjoy it enough to go playing it on Magic Online. It's cubes are really kind of like in-person experience for me, but I do enjoy watching streamers uh, draft it when it's when it's out. Yeah, please don't start playing the cubeless. We really won't have anything to talk about uh, on <laughs> exactly, the cast yeah. anymore. I've got to do my I do my homework, right? Like you, you actually do, yeah. Yeah, I play I play every night. <laughs> Make sure I'm keeping abreast of what's going on. Just saving up, saving up these these ticks and these chests. Just preparing for retirement, a little retirement. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna pre- I'm just gonna play by my own set of ragavans. Uh, so I can finally give you guys back. My gosh. Okay. All right. no, I literally never play Vintage Cube. But you know what I actually do play, though? Um, It's called Life on the Line. So for those new listening and don't know what Life on the Line is, it's a theoretical tournament tomorrow. You win the event you live. If you lose, you die. you got to bring a deck list for every format we talked about today. I don't think we'll do Historic because it's just about to change up. So I guess we'll just do Modern. Is that all right? Sure. Fine with me. Cool. In modern, I'm easily going to play four color control. Um, I'm not going to be risky. I'm going to have a 15 card sideboard this time. Just run it back, same 75, or I guess 73 plus two wear tear in the sideboard. Andrea Mingucci's list, it's amazing. What about you, uh, I guess, Pat? Merktide region. Uh, what, what? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm just going to keep doing that. Um, my, my list at the moment has some chalices on the side. I still have blood moons. I still have jaces. I play okay. spells. I'm playing like one spell stand main, one spell stand side. So that's been something I've been really enjoying. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm, what I'm doing this week. Cool. What about you, Gab? Yeah, I've never heard you so excited about the deck. So I'm going to play the four color deck too. Hey. Speaking of speaking of freedom card sideboard, there's something someone who got got to. They they ended up playing was I think Dragon's Fire, the new removal from D and D instead of Fire Ice. But yeah, you need to be a little careful sometimes when you export deck lists. But yeah, yeah, four color deck, it's been good. Why not? Awesome. Are we doing are we doing price it, prices right this this week as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What card? Nice. What card? Um, Alice Jailer. All right, let's do that. That's a good one. Good Alice idea. Jailer. Which no card idea. is that? Palace Jailer, the monarch card. Oh, the one that exiles until you lose monarchy or whatever, right? It's ba- it's banish a priest with well, monarchy. That, yeah. That's a great one because I literally have no idea if it's playable in any constructed format. Because I think it was a, wasn't it a popper staple and then it got banned? Yeah, but it must be busted. I think it's a higher rarity right? than than is legal in pauper, but it's in you got it plays a little bit in legacy death and taxes. Oh, legacy. Too, wow. Commander I, 2. I don't even know which set it's from. Precisely. What, the perfect, what rarity the it is. <laughs> I mean, if it, okay. Who who wants to go? I can go first if you want. I'll go. I mean, it was in Popper, right? So it means it's a common in one of the sets. So I don't know. If it's, I don't know if it was in Popper. I can't remember. Maybe, maybe yeah, it is. It is, is. Wait, you can't look up stuff. No, I know off the top of my head. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I mean, I feel like it could be two euros, and I feel like it could be fifty euros. I'm gonna go ten euros. No, five euros. Five euros. Five euros. Okay, I'm gonna. I feel like. I feel like I've seen an uncommon version of it, and I've seen a common. So I'm gonna go like. I'm gonna go. Uh, I don't know if I'm meant to go above or below five. The thing is, legacy rarely affects the price of cards. I'm gonna go off. This is just bought for commander, so I'm gonna say like three, three euros. Three euros. Right, I'm gonna squeeze Gab. I'll just go like six euro. Yeah, you gotta go at least seven. 
three no. five seven. Give All me right, five. Oh, that's six fifty. Oh, what? what? All right. So, what's how how much is the cheapest version of Fallon's failure on car market? If I can. S- <laughs> fifty euro cents. Oh, nice. fifty cents! I thought you were gonna say fifty. Euro. What a bargain! You can is ruin it, every cube draw for Gab in the future by spending nearly fifty euro cents. Oh, it's an uncommon, so it's not in offer. I don't think there's a common version. Oh no, there. Oh, that's Palace Sentinels. Oh right. Yeah, Palace oh, Palace Sentinels are oh, the two four. The two four. I had the both both of them mixed up. All right, cool. Fifty cents. What a bargain. Oh, okay. Can't be shot. Well, finish off the episode. Gab, where can we find you on the internet? Twitter at Gab Nassif and Twitch, twitch.tv slash yellowhat. Also on the YouTube channel of Channel Fireball. Awesome. You can find me streaming on Card Market's Twitch tomorrow, making YouTube videos for Card Market, um, and also shouting Card Market at the end of this episode because they're the sponsor of the podcast. And you can find me, HaremGG, anywhere on the internet. What about you, Pat? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You can find him in the modern in the modern queue. Yeah, you can find me in the modern league queues. See if you can take me down a peg or two. I actually played against a viewer the other day. So hey. Shout out to them, and also shout out to them casting expressive iteration, me drawing two with Archmage Charm in response, them counter spelling, and then me flustering storming to counter both their spells. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got called out on the stream. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Okay, well, if you made it this far into the episode, as always, we appreciate you for getting this far. I should also say we should thank everyone for a thousand followers on Twitter. That's pretty oh, yeah, sick. thanks. That's great. Yeah, I keep forgetting to say that in the intro. I'll probably try and remember next week. But yeah, thank you so much. And I guess we'll catch you guys next time. Peace. Take care, everyone.